The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Welcome to Spectrumly Speaking. I'm Becca Laurie, your house autistic, your friendly cat lover, and maybe, maybe your favorite beverage in the middle of the night. And I'm joined here by Dr. Kate Cody. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist who practices in New York City. I work with kids through adults on the autism spectrum, offering therapy services and conducting diagnostic evaluations. And I supervise and train graduate students and postdocs so that we have more professionals in the field who are adequately equipped to support this community. Um, so Becca, how was your week? My week was really busy, actually, this past week. Um, I had a lot of stuff going on in my personal life and, and kind of adjustments that I'm making and, and some future planning that's going on. And that's been crazy and then uh, a little bit insane on the work side. Um, and last mm -hmm. week, I was really honored uh, to go to the UN uh, on Friday and join the Women of the Spectrum uh, in a highlight of the UN that we do every year. It's called World Autism Day, and they uh, pick a theme, and it was women and girls of the spectrum this week. So I went into Manhattan for that, um, and that's always like a, a big kind of stress thing for me, just to have to go in there. It's a very early day and, a, and kind of a long day on top of that for me. And then the travel and the sensory of Manhattan and the social all day of, of being at that kind of event. So by the time I was sort of home and done with all that, I was exhausted. Um, and so by the time last night came around at like 730 at night, I felt like my whole my body was just like, yeah, your brain has to stop now. And it just like unplugged itself. And that was it. I was just like, nope, done. Done for the day. 7.30 to bed last night. Yeah, really sad. Yeah. And you? Yeah. Um, good. Also busy. Um, I just returned literally 10 minutes ago from uh, presenting at a conference in D.C. And so I'm also in the, like, busy work side of things, getting ready for, you know, another conference in May. So in April, you know, is just a busy month, I think, when you are in the autism community because it is all about autism awareness and acceptance. So. Oh, yeah. While I'm sure people will be listening to this when it is no longer April, we are currently reflecting on the busyness of this time. That's true. And, and I'm sure you'll all be exhausted by the time you hear this in May <laughs> is really what it is. <laughs> yeah. So I'm super excited about our guest today. Um, our guest today is Elizabeth Roberts, uh, PsyD, who's a psychologist and neuropsychologist. Since 2017, she's been the National Director of Clinical Services for the College Internship Program, or CIP. Prior to that, she practiced clinical neuropsychology for over two decades, most recently at the NYU Child Study Center, where she was an assistant professor at the NYU School of Medicine. She specialized in the diagnosis and treatment of individuals across the lifespan with autism spectrum disorder and other types of neurodiversity. Liz has lectured and written on many topics, including executive functioning, employment, relationship and intimacy, co-occurring conditions, classroom learning, comorbid disorders, psychotherapy, college, young adulthood, and at-risk babies. She has a special interest in ASD in girls and women. Welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you. So we are super thrilled that you're joining us today to kind of highlight some of the work that you're doing, and especially the work at CIP. Um, can you provide us with an overview of what CIP is and the kinds of services offered and what sets it apart from other transition programs designed to support individuals on the autism spectrum? 
Absolutely. So CIP was founded in 1984, so we're approaching our 35th anniversary, which we're really excited about. Uh, we're a comprehensive transition program for young adults age 18 to 26. And I think what sets us apart from other transition programs is the comprehensive nature of the services and the programming that we offer. So um, our, our, some of the services that we're most proud of are our family services, which are directed by Sharona Summer, in which she offers webinars and family support. And that's a really central component to um, our programming. Um, in addition to that, we offer executive function support, academic coaching and support and close supervision, uh, career support, social skills uh, training and learning and learning opportunities, um, support for independent living skills, wellness, um, activities in the creative arts, and then, of course, a very thorough uh, support for emotional well-being and wellness. So that's just kind of a, a bit of a laundry list of some of the things that we're doing in a very integrated manner here at CIP. Can you describe an example profile of a typical female participant? Sure. So um, when I think about our young women at college internship program, um, it's, it's always very fun for me because girls are, are close to my heart and girls and women with autism are a group that I always want to support, and I recently enjoyed, um, by the way, uh, celebrating that at the World Autism Awareness Day that was on April 5th at the United Nations last week, and that was a wonderful, wonderful event. Um, so the young women that we have uh, here at CIP are 18 to 26 years old, um, as is our general population, and uh, they're often extremely articulate and very bright and interesting. Uh, they often have um, a range of interests, often in horticulture or animals, baking, early childhood, um, and of course, so, uh, media and uh, visual media and so on. Our girls and young women might be on an academic track or an academic uh, or a career track or some combination of both. Most of our individuals at CIP, including girls and, and, and women, uh, have had a history of being bullied in their lives. And so there's really always a story of trauma in the background that it is our priority uh, to find out about and support and explore with that young person. The girls here uh, all want friendship. They all want to make friends. Uh, they also want romantic relationships. They often lack some of the important skills that we all need to make friends and start dating. Um, and one of the first lessons that we teach to our young uh, women here is that dating is confusing for everyone. So we jump right into that in the um, second, usually in the second year of somebody's stay at CIP, uh, the dating world. Um, in the first year, we really focus on friendship building skills. Some of our young women and our young people need uh, support to understand their gender identity and um, their sexual orientation, so we offer that. Um, and we also try to start with a very careful and thorough discussion of uh, interests and motivation and what really turns a student on. And we go from there to build a set of goals and a, and a, and a programming trajectory that matches what the young adult says he or she actually wants. So we work really hard to find that motivation and start with that as a platform for developing a program across the years um, of, uh, that, this, that the young adult is with us. So that's just kind of a 
quick overview of, of what we do. In the meantime, we're also managing um, many of the co-occurring disorders that come along with autism spectrum disorder and other learning differences, such as anxiety, of course, and ADHD and mood. Um, and um, we're also offering lots of support for nutrition and wellness um, and stress management and, and uh, the development of daily habits and routines that maintain our emotional and physical well-being. Wow. So overall, it sounds like CIP <laughs> is an incredibly comprehensive program for supporting um, young uh, individuals on the spectrum um, and with other learning needs. Um, how does CIP support participants in building on their strengths for vocational and academic readiness? Well, I think, first of all, I really want to emphasize that comprehensive is sort of our middle name. Um, and that we are strength-based and extremely individualized with each one of our young adults. And right now, I think our census across our five centers is 162. Um, and we're incredibly flexible with, with each of our students. We're constantly tweaking, honing, discussing, modifying, changing, adding supports, uh, weaning supports, and so on. We're constantly adjusting the program to meet the young adults' needs. And we're also, I really want to emphasize um, how much we talk about collaboration. I know that might sound like a cliche, but we are a team, and the team includes the parents, the team includes the student, and that it includes the, the, the team within CIP, which is across all of our departments. And the team also includes outside clinicians and outside educators. So one of the things that struck me when I joined CIP is how incredibly dynamic, collaborative, and complicated this entire journey is. In terms of vocational and academic readiness, um, we have a number of tools that are built into a student's schedule. Um, and those include our advising appointments. So advising is something like case management. So a student has an advisor and the student meets with the advisor um, a couple of times a week, once a week, twice a week, three times a week if necessary. Um, the student and the advisor will also call the parent on a monthly basis and, a, and email the parent together on a monthly basis. So there's built-in mechanisms for maintaining those lines of communication among all uh, important parties. And those advising appointments are really the foundation for the way that we plan and monitor a student's program at CIP. And that involves lots of careful, frequent, and thorough discussion about the goals. Why are you here? What do you hope to accomplish? Is this attainable? How can we do this together? Uh, as well as collaboration with the disabilities office at an academic uh, institution, um, and as I said, all other outside clinicians. So one of our mottos is to start slow. And if a student is passionate about getting a um, post-secondary degree, such as a, an associate's degree or a BA. We really encourage the student to get acclimated to CIP in their first term and then to enroll in one or two courses um, in the spring term, for example. And that could be an online course. It could be an online course from the student's home state in order to economize and just dip your toe in the water, so to speak. Um, it could be one or two courses at our local community colleges, and we have several colleges um, uh, across the United States that we interact with. So there's a real range of choices at each of our five centers. 
We also offer some very carefully, uh, very carefully considered classroom experiences, and I say that uh, very, very carefully, um, sort of didactic experiences in which we are engaging in assessment of executive functions and academic readiness, assessing and evaluating career readiness, teaching career skills such as identifying soft and hard skills, mock interviews, um, identifying what you really want in a job and whether you have skills that would match that, that career and so on. So there is a classroom didactic component to the academic support and the career support, as well as individual career and academic appointments along the lines of coaching. Um, another sort of pathway that I think is worth discussing in career is that a student might start with community service. So we might have somebody engaging in a community day cleanup um, in, in, at one of our centers or some other type of community event that's, that's happening. And that might be a first step towards working, uh, working on a career path. That might then progress to an internship. We get our students into internships right away in the first year, preferably in the first semester. And that will ultimately lead to um, more hours at an internship and hopefully to paid employment. And we offer one-to-one -one job coaching as needed with, again, the hope that we will fade that coaching as, this, as the student becomes more independent in the job setting. So that's just a bit of a, a description of some of the tools and the programming opportunities that we have for students to support them in uh, determining whether they're ready to launch an academic um, program or whether they're ready to, um, their degree of readiness for launching a career path. That sounds really, really thorough, and I wish that I had something like that very much. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not, of course, the only component of you know working with a transition program. So how do you guys support daily living skills? Daily living skills support is so important. We talk about it all the time. We have, um, we have a, a, very, a very active life skills support staff who are with us at all of our five centers. Um, we're constantly trying to improve what we do to support students and to, to walk that fine line between doing too much for someone and not doing enough, not, not offering the right kind of support. Um, so as I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but again, collaboration is the word of the day. And we are constantly interacting in our electronic communication system to find out what's going on with a particular student in one of our apartments. Our students live in apartments. The apartments are within walking distance of our centers. So here in the Berkshires, we have, I think, I forget how many apartments, uh, 10 apartments or something, I forget more than that, around our center. And all of the students walk to our center in the morning um, to get going and, and to get a van to college or whatever they might be doing. Um, so the point is our students live in our apartments, our life skills staff are in the apartments, they're offering um, support for apartment cleaning, for individual um, hygiene and cleaning. So we have separate appointments, one for the shared space um, cleaning and organizing, and one for the personal space and hygiene, cleaning and organizing and laundry and, and so on. We also have roommate meetings, which are very important and often extremely lively. 
Um, and those are led by a combination of life skills staff and therapists. And sometimes uh, we also have interns from local academic institutions uh, who support our uh, roommate meetings as well. So, for example, at, in the Berkshires, we have a social work intern from a local social work program who is helping us out with our roommate meetings and, and other activities. Um, our advisors also support students in the very important task of learning how to bank and budget. Um, they have a monthly allowance, and we work very hard with them to help them make good choices in terms of the um, materials they might need to, to buy for college, as well as um, the food that they need to buy at the grocery store and their entertainment and so on. So there's um, advising appointments that look at banking and budgeting. There's all kinds of life skills staff appointments having to do with hygiene and keeping the apartment clean and organized. Um, and um, roommate meetings to support negotiation and resolution of conflict, which of course does happen as well as cooking support and learning how to clean up a kitchen and run a kitchen and make healthy choices. So it's, it's really quite, quite comprehensive. We also have uh, AM support. We have support in the morning for students who have trouble getting up in the morning and need support to uh, wake up and make breakfast and get ready for the day. And then we have, a, um, we have rounds in the evening that we make uh, at all the apartments before everybody goes to bed. Um, in which we encourage students to wrap it up and turn off the electronic media and get going with their bedtime routines and, and engage in healthy sleep hygiene. So I probably left something out, but that, that covers a lot of what we do to support uh, daily living skills development and independence. Yeah, I was just about to say, I mean, it really does sound like, you know, the core of all this is really all of the comprehensive components of supporting, you know, that long term goal of being as independent as possible, um, which is which is great. Um, so as a part of that um, independence, often, you know, there's executive functioning challenges that really are in need of support. Could you talk a little bit about um, the ways in which executive functioning supports are kind of integrated into the overall culture of the program at CIP? So supporting executive functions is really at the heart of CIP's culture and our core values. And uh, the term EF is, is used probably multiple times in a given minute across the five centers uh, every day of the week. Um, it's something we talk about all day, we think about all day, and we're constantly trying to support in our young adults in, in, in as, a, in, in, as a individualized way as possible. <laughs> um, so the first thing that we do with our students who are ent the entering students is we offer them a, an actual didactic experience um, around executive functions. And what I've learned um, myself in the year that I've been at CIP is that uh, this isn't a place where you teach someone executive functions. You just say you don't say, OK, today I'm going to teach you how to plan and organize. It doesn't work like that. What we teach in this first term class is a shared vocabulary. So we're really looking at defining executive functions, um, you know, which I uh, talk about as consisting of initiating and persisting planning, organizing, emotional regulation, flexibly shifting, terminating, and so on. So we really teach that vocabulary. We have a mini lesson about the human brain and you know where executive functions are mediated and how that's working. 
We talk a lot about what gets in the way of using our executive functions. We talk about what motivates us to use executive functions and so on. So we really look at executive functions. We break them apart. Um, we talk about tools and strategies. So the classroom experience is really an opportunity to get the conversation going with the student so that we can enhance self-observation. Um, and I really have to say on a personal note, it, when I taught this course myself last spring as a new, uh, as, as a new person here at CIP, I, I actually began changing my own behavior. I, I noticed, oh, I'm having trouble persisting or I'm having trouble initiating. I mean, it actually, just thinking about those words in a new way and teaching them to the students um, did, did actually increase my own powers of self-observation. And that was kind of a surprising outcome. So I think it's effective in helping us observe ourselves and think about ourselves, which is the first step to making a change or finding out why we might wanna make a change. Um, so that class, that classroom experience is important to get us all on the same page in terms of the words we're using and the ways we can talk about what we've noticed about one another. Um, the, 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 the second part of, of that is that we have our staff come into the executive function classroom as what I call guest lecturers. So for example, we teach the shared vocabulary, then we'll have someone from the life skills staff come in with an empty suitcase and a bunch of clothes and say, okay, today we're going to talk about packing your bag for a break and we're going to talk about that using the terms, the executive function language that you've been learning in this class. So it's experiential, it's delivered by a life skill staff member, not some type of you know, lecturer uh, who might be a, another staff member. And we try to make it as real as possible. We, we kind of kill two birds with one stone that way because by inviting our quote unquote guest lecturers in from careers and life skills and academics and so on, we're disseminating that vocabulary across our staff. So in, in one respect, it's a, it's a method of training our staff across departments uh, to learn and share the vocabulary that we're teaching our students. So I really like that. And it took, it took some time for us to, to figure out the best model for this, but we've really been having some fun with it. Um, the other important structures at CIP that support executive functions are the very important um, meeting that we call bookends. Um, people call it other things. We might call it morning meeting. Um, I've noticed at all the high schools that I love touring um, in Manhattan and elsewhere, there's always a daily meeting that is, is essentially bookends. We happen to call it bookends, but it can be called something else. And it's an emotional and executive function check-in. How are you doing? Um, what's your goal for today? What's your biggest worry for today? Um, do you have the tools that you need? Um, what, you know, what types of supports do you think you'll need? What, what else can we do for you? And so on. We also run through HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired, and other acronyms that help us understand what might get in the way of having a successful day. So bookends is a, is a very great opportunity for everyone to um, be together, for about 30 minutes and talk about the day and what it looks like. Um, you know, and I also want to mention psychotherapy. I mean, we think of traditional psychotherapy as being this talking experience one-to-one -one with a therapist, and it is, but it's also an opportunity to support executive functions and think about emotional regulation and how staying regulated helps us 
use the executive function skills that we do have. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, in our social skills programming, uh, where we're teaching social skills and we offer instruction and social mentoring and coaching and so on, we're also employing that executive function vocabulary because you need executive functions in order to find friends and make friends and keep friends, right? Um, and be flexible with friends. So that vocabulary can be applied to everything that we do across the day, across our work experiences, across our academic learning experiences, across our social experiences, and across our emotional regulation experiences. And so we really try to infuse that across all the programming components that, that a student might experience in a given day. Thank you so much for such a thorough explanation of kind of how all of this is um, kind of put together. I think one of the things that I, you know, want to highlight is that obviously program, you know, a program like CIP is incredibly comprehensive and, you know, there's only five CIP locations. And so we also recognize at Spectrumly Speaking, that, you know, programs like this are not immediately available to everyone. And so a huge part of why we highlight a program like CIP is so that there can be an understanding of some of the components that are really um, kind of integral in supporting successful transitions so that, you know, for our listeners out there who maybe are in, um, you know, a geographic area where they don't necessarily have access or a financial situation where they don't have access, they can kind of get a sense of like, well, what goes into a transition program so that perhaps there's components that they might be able to say, hey, that sounds like something I really need. So they I, seriously, Liz, thank you so much for offering such a comprehensive kind of overview, because I do think for our listeners who aren't necessarily able to find or attend a program like CIP, it can be really helpful in understanding what are the tools and, and kinds of components that might be helpful for supporting those transitions. Well, I think that's really interesting. And I've often asked myself, uh, you know, how parents could assemble um, the services and the supports that we, that we put together at CIP. And I want to say one more thing along those lines, which is that the average length of stay here is two and a half years. And when students reach their goals within that time frame, could be one year, it could be two years, two and a half, three years, um, they often will enroll in our um, graduate living program, um, graduate living center, I guess we call it, GLC. I can never remember the acronym exactly. But in any event, the point is, this is kind of a uh, less intensive um, program of supports in which a student and their family might select sort of a, a set of a la carte services. So you might need, I still need that therapy component. I still need that career component. I still need that academic support, but I'm going to live more independently in the community um, and, and just receive a smaller package of support. So getting back to the point that you're making, I think a parent who might be in a um, more geographically isolated location or, or can't, for whatever reason, come to a place like CIP, a parent might think about uh, a, a list of supports that the young adult might need and then figure out creatively how some of those needs can be met with various types of supports um, more local. Um, and you can you know, you could assemble a team to identify those key supports that, that your child, your son or daughter absolutely needs. So that's another way of looking at it. Yeah, absolutely.
today's discussion, uh, Becca and I are going to kind of follow up on this, you know, kind of idea of just, you know, transition programs in general. But really, I think, Becca, you know, for us, like in talking about, you know, what is the value and kind of purpose of transition programs? And, you know, often our, our like, you know, teens emerging into young adulthood, they often kind of have a pretty like big feeling of opposition to the idea of a program like this. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, for you and I and, and, you know, for Liz also to kind of talk a little bit about like, why are these programs helpful? And like, you know, how, what is the long-term potential benefit? Yeah. Um, I think what I would love for people to start looking at a transition program as is to look at it as like a, um, a precursor to adulthood. It's like the early intervention to adulthood. That's what I like to think about it as because it's, it's all of those pieces and components that I would say are more naturally gleaned by people who aren't on the spectrum are the areas in life which when you're dumped out into adulthood become glaringly obvious when you're on the spectrum that you needed help with. Um, things like laundry, things like managing your budget, knowing how to accommodate for your needs when you're in a setting that may not be autistic friendly, things like that um, are areas in which I think transition programs hit something that's otherwise missed. But the problem is, of course, that um, the rest of society is really busy talking about how at 18 years old you move out of the house and you become a grown up and you go to college or you get a job and you pay your rent and you do all of these things because that's the normal thing you're supposed to do. Um, and I think when we hear when even if it's not said directly to us on the spectrum, we I think we hear it and we know it and it's on TV and it's in the movies, um, kind of what the societal standards are for where you're supposed to be at, at that mm -hmm. phase in life. And I think that's where the stigma comes from. Um, but I think it's also part of a greater stigma where um, I think for a very long time we've been touting, at least in our upper middle class neighborhoods and beyond, that college, 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 right? Um, but what we're finding is that college isn't, A, always right for everybody. It's also, B, not always financially possible for everybody. Um, and it's sort of you know, almost like an older idea for when society was built a little different, it feels mm -hmm. like. And so, you know, how are we responding as a community to that change? Um, and are we, instead of looking at it like you turn, you know, you're done with high school, you have one of these choices, but how do we um, show people on the spectrum all of the options that are out there and help them choose the path that works the best for them at that time? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and knowing the options and how to make those decisions, how do we, do we make that readily available to people so they don't feel like there's only one or two possibilities? Yeah. I mean, I know for me as a clinician, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly, um, when I'm either doing evaluations of teens or working um, with parents of teens or working therapeutically with teens, I'm, I find regularly that, you know, we're talking about the fact that it's, totally okay for maybe the next steps to not look like this normal path or that maybe what's going to be the thing that will set someone up for long-term success in a more effective way is to maybe take a little bit of like a different road. Um, and you know, that if someone really is highly motivated, they want to go to college, like that's their plan for themselves. I'm in full support of that, but I'm also going to be the one that's saying, Hey, let's make sure that these other areas are supported. So whether that's living skills or executive functioning, social, all of those elements that I think mm -hmm. become so crucial for kind of being able to then enter into a college setting and, and be able to 
be successful, not just academically, but really navigating the entirety of that college environment. So mm-hmm. being, you know, able to access the, the social world around them in whatever way that individual wants to, and not with my imposed social values, but how they want to. And being able to kind of navigate the potential for a roommate situation and, you know, how does that go? Um, you know, how do you go about that? I, I think all of those pieces are not like what typical high school prepares any student for um, by any means. And so I think that for, um, you know, individuals on the autism spectrum, really what we're trying to do is kind of provide these additional supports to make this transition maybe a little bit more successful, make it, it might take a little longer, but I think that it's like a long-term investment in Mm -hmm. my opinion. My, I agree. That's how I kind of frame it in terms of my own like clinical way of thinking. Um, and I don't know, that's, that's how I see it. Right. I mean, it's definitely, you know, like it's, that's kind of what you want. You want that foundation. And that's why I'm saying it's like the early intervention to adulthood. It gives you the foundation for mm-hmm. those, because you will always need to know how to do your laundry and to budget mm-hmm. yourself. It's not like a temporary yeah. skill set for 18 to 25. <laughs> you know, you don't suddenly not have to do that stuff at 25 years old. So yeah, it's the beginnings. Mm-hmm. It's what we, we hope to teach our kindergartners before they get on, right? As we teach them the basics so that the other grade levels make sense. Well, that's the hope, right? Is that you give people that foundation and then the rest of life will hopefully make a little more sense and be a little bit easier to navigate through. But without that foundational piece, we have giant holes in our learning we have we may be fully efficient and functional at our jobs we may be great in school but if you come and look at our living environments it's not reflected there you don't see a successful person in our living environments because nobody ever taught us how to do that successfully we were constantly praised for everything else right but there was no praise or teaching for those really basic things Um, and the more you know of course the desire of any human being is to follow the things you're successful at and to follow the things that you're getting praised for and that people are are proud of you doing and so when that's constantly either what you do at work or whether what you do at school um, and you know there's this giant deficit behind you you're doing all you can to cover it up and that's what I think we're seeing when we see our adults um, Mm -hmm. that that didn't benefit from a transition Mm -hmm. program that don't have that available to them um, yeah. and that, I think it's that important. Yeah. I, I really love this discussion because I think what we're all talking about is is hitting the pause button just a bit on, as you say, uh, Kate, the, the developmental expectation in society that everybody is going to be in lockstep with the timing of, mm-hmm. of, of transitions to the next phase. And we're really giving young adults, whatever we might do, whether it's at CIP or elsewhere, we're giving people extra time to develop, as you say, Becca, those skills that weren't developed and to um, give us some time to allow the brain to finish developing, which mm-hmm. doesn't finish developing until age 25. I tell my yep. families that all the time. And, and one of the uh, central dynamics at CIP is the family services that we have here Um, which allow us to really work with families to support them to work with their son or daughter to create that just right timeline. So this is really exactly the topic that we need to be discussing. Yeah, I mean, I think we're 
all having the same conversation now, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and because yeah. I think what we've been hitting before, kind of even why we've had hit or miss successes in this area is kind of no, there wasn't that clear communication. And I think most of the time when you talk to adults on the spectrum, they will tell you they would have benefited from a transition program and how yeah. much easier and less painful and less traumatizing a lot of those growth periods would have been if we'd had a little bit more support in the areas we needed in. I mean, I didn't need a tutor in college. I was an A student. That wasn't my problem. But I was signing up for every credit card in front of my school that they were giving out and maxing them out because I had no concept of what that meant. I just knew I needed that day this thing. Well, and I think that what you just said is so important to kind of highlight because I find that often parents um, kind of – they really see all of the academic strengths, right? And they're like, no, my my kid is ready for college. Look at how great they are academically, which is amazing. And I love that there's strengths there that can be built on. Um, but I think that sometimes what happens is that sometimes those strengths can kind of mask where the difficulties are. Um, and if we're not kind of identifying any, you know, of these potential additional areas to life, right? Because it's not just academics, Um, And so often, you know, for me clinically, I have people that are coming in to see me, you know, after they have gone to college and maybe failed out of the semester and not because they're not intellectually or academically prepared for the material, but because they're struggling with navigating all of the other life demands that were not in place on them prior to entering into a college setting. Um, And I, I think that that's where you know, I would so much rather kind of take a proactive approach and prevent those kinds of experiences as opposed to taking that reactive approach and kind mm-hmm. of saying, oh, no, now what do we do? Right. Yep. And I think, too, you know, there's so we have so many options out there, especially now that the Internet is what it is. There's so many so many things that are available to you online. There are so many things that are available to you at lower cost because they're online. There's also you know, options for so many online classes. So I always say to people, you know, that you're not, you don't have to lose the time. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, but then I'm not going to get started till I'm this age. And then I'm not going to finish until I'm this age. And, you know, people worry about that stuff. And it's like, well, you don't have to kind of not do college if you want to also learn these living skills. You know, I didn't start college thinking I was a college student. So I started by chance at, you know, at a community college. And that was a brilliant start for me. I would have assigned it to myself if I could go back in time because I got to experience the the demands of college and kind of the breakdown of how you get your information, the expectations, how that stuff is broken down over the course of, a, of the months, what um, things are actually important versus what things aren't. You know, showing up to classes is important, but if you're showing up and not paying attention, it doesn't mean anything in college. You could not go to class but if you have the answers you know it's a little bit different those expectations and that's Mm -hmm. a lot of things for uh, an autistic brain to relearn because those are the social skill sets of the classroom Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's like you know that was all whatever and so I went to this really low pressure academic environment to do that in that was not only um, financially less a lot less um, but it was also um, the demands in the classroom academically weren't so strong so I could give equal time to the how do I get from this class to that class Um, when do I do my homework in my week how do I you know like how do I figure that out Um, and it also allowed me at the same time to have a part-time job so I wasn't mm-hmm. doing one thing or the other. I was trying them both out. Um, and, right. I, and, and so that was a really important piece 
for me. And so, you know, I know there's a lot of people, oh, you know, but community college isn't a real school and all of that. But guess what? You can transfer from your community college after your two years there and go to a four-year school, um, whatever real school, quote unquote, you think that might be. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, you can do those things and you and it's a financially smart move. It's a, a low academic, you know, kind of low pressure environment. It was a great way for me. It was like the perfect option for me so that I could unlearn how stupid I was and learn how smart I was because I had had to kind of undo what had been done to me. Um, I mean, it sounds like I think the thing that we're all really highlighting to kind of like pull it into like a summary is we're really saying this is a, a really critical time to be flexible. Um, so, so being flexible in terms of transition planning, being flexible in terms of future planning, being flexible in terms of what are the supports going to be, being flexible about like what the next steps might be. And maybe, you know, being flexible in terms of this might not look the way I expected, but guess what? That's okay. And I'm still going to get where I'm trying to go. It just might be take a little longer or look a little bit different. And that flexibility, which I think is sometimes, you know, that's hard for all of us. Um, you know, I think really is kind of like that summary point of what we're all talking about is that if we can kind of enter these transition periods with a sense of flexibility, then it's going to allow, you know, everyone to kind of navigate them potentially in a more successful way. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much for being here, Liz. We really, really appreciate it. Fantastic to have you on. CIP is a great program, so go check them out. And actually, Liz, could you um, tell us where people can find you if they want to know more information about the work you're doing or about CIP? Well, thank you so much. This has really been a fantastic conversation. I just really appreciate um, having the opportunity to talk about CIP, but also to discuss with both of you um, how to support young adults to make that transition from the teenage years to adulthood and, and how to help our parents um, in that process as well. So if people are interested in learning more about College Internship Program, you can look at our website, www.cipworldwide.org. Um, and certainly there are links all over there about all of our staff, including me and our admissions team and so on. Um, we have uh, what we call experience days at all of our five centers. So those are great opportunities for families to visit. And we, of course, have all sorts of literature that we're happy to send out to you and talk to you on the phone about. Awesome. Thank you so much, Liz. That about wraps it up for us today. So if you want to go ahead, check out Different Brains at differentbrains.org or check out their Twitter at DiffBrains. You can also look for them on Facebook. If you're looking for me, you can find me at www.beccalori.com or you can look for me on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Additionally, if you want some cute floppy-eared puppy pics, you can follow Sir Walter Underfoot on Instagram. I can be found via email at Cody at uh, spectrumpsychservices.com or via my website which is uh, www.spectrumpsychservices.com please be sure to subscribe and rate us on itunes and don't hesitate to send questions to spectrumlyspeaking at gmail.com and let's keep the conversation going spectrumly speaking is a production of different brains for more information visit us at differentbrains.org